John chapter 4. Really, really interesting story. Lots and lots of details there. And as I read through it and I worked through it and I tried to, to figure out what it was that we'd talk about, where it was that we would go, I kept being struck by this odd detail in the story. She left her water jug. She left her, her pitcher at the well. For some reason, John 4 tells us that small bit of perhaps seemingly insignificant information. But it seems to me that it's not insignificant, that for some reason it mattered, that for some reason it was included. The verse actually says in verse 28, it says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. She was in a hurry. We don't exactly know all of the realities of why. Perhaps she was scared. Perhaps she believed she had important work that she had to go and get done. Perhaps because of what had just happened, she couldn't be bothered by what was routine and mundane like this water jug. I think maybe she left it because she planned to come back shortly. As soon as she could possibly get there. Jesus had transformed her. This powerful, incredible conversation had just taken place. And in the process of it, Jesus had offered her new life. And she'd been changed in such a powerful way that she had to go tell others what had happened. She had to go bring others she had to go and give them a chance to also meet Jesus. She had this desire to go and bring them to the well. If you know much about this story, I'm going to shut this door, sorry. It will distract me the entire time I'm up here if I don't. We know that this woman's uh, life was a mess. She was scandalous. We find it kind of on the surface and then also underneath and some of the things we have to read in context in order to gather all that had taken place and what had gone on in her life. In the conversation that takes place with her and Jesus, we find that she'd been married five times. Find that she's living with a man who isn't her husband. There's no telling if there were others along the way or not. We aren't given that piece of information. We don't know what happened that these relationships came to an end. There are assumptions that are made. There are guesses that some try and make. It seems probable that the husbands hadn't passed away. That would have changed the situation and what was going on and the interactions she had with others. It seems more likely that somehow these marriages ended in, in some form of divorce, some form of intentional and legal separation. But we don't actually know if she had done anything wrong. Had she been the one who had somehow sinned against these men or, or perhaps she is the one who had been sinned against? Divorce was a privilege that was uh, more quickly available to men than it was to women. Men were able to pursue a divorce for next to no reason at all. For women, it didn't work exactly the same way. So although it's probably likely that these men in her life had made the decision, we don't know why or what had happened. 
We do know that culturally, even though it was a man who could decide such a thing, she would have been the one who was looked down upon because of these situations. She would have been the one who received criticism. She would have been the one who received scorn from her community because she couldn't stay in a relationship. She is the one who would have been shamed for it. She's the one who would have been called all kinds of names. Harlot is one of the ones that I feel like is repeatable in this room. There's no doubt there were others. And although we can't assume blame, we can't assume exactly what's happened or why or what's gone on or whose fault any of this was, I think it is fair to assume that this woman had walked through significant emotional trauma. Failed marriage after failed marriage. Broken relationship after broken relationship had likely damaged her self-image significantly. And clearly, it had ruined her public image. That's why she was at the well all by herself. That's why she was at the well in the middle of the day. Collecting water was a responsibility that was typically the woman's responsibility. The woman in the home was usually responsible for going and collecting water wherever they could. In this village, they had this well, this well that they knew as Jacob's well, and they would go and they would get it there. However, women would typically go to gather water in groups. They would go in groups because it offered them protection in case other things were to take place. They also would go in groups because it was a great communal opportunity. This was an incredible time for them to to swap stories about whatever it is that women swap stories about when they go to the bathroom in groups today. That, that This was the moment when that took place for them, that they would share, that they would go back and forth, that they would talk about what was happening. But they also typically went in the cool of the day. They either went really early in the morning or they went late in the day in order to stay away from the scorching noonday heat. But the story tells us that this woman went alone. And that this woman went right about noon, the hottest point of the day, the time when she knew that no one else would be there. The time that she knew that if she went, she wouldn't have to see the faces that they made at her. She wouldn't have to hear the comments. She wouldn't have to face any of the looks or the comments or the frustrations or the shame that she saw over and over and over again. So she went alone and she went when no one would be there. But John 4 says someone was there. When she got to the well, there was a stranger at the well. And this stranger was a man. He looked tired and hungry. And she wondered, why in the world is he here in the middle of the day? No one does that. No one except for her, obviously. But no one comes to the well in the middle of the day. What is he thinking? What is he doing? Why is he here? She wouldn't have spoken to him. She wouldn't have started a conversation or initiated anything. She probably wouldn't have even said hello. She wouldn't have looked at him even in any kind of noticeable way. Like she might have caught him out of the corner of her eye enough to see these things that he looked tired, that he looked like he'd been traveling. But she wouldn't have have made contact. She wouldn't have glanced in that direction in a way that would allow him to know that he had been seen or that she had seen him. She'd had enough trouble with men. 
There's no way she was going to stir up any more of them. So she went about doing the task that she did each and every time she came to the well. She came to draw water. So she went to get her water. She was going to get her water. She was going to go home and pretend that this man wasn't even there, wasn't even gathered there. And then the stranger asked her for a drink. This was not supposed to happen. Nowhere in her framework, nowhere in her expectations, nowhere in the expectations of anyone that would have heard or read this story originally. This was not supposed to take place. We get a hint at the oddity of it in verse 9 when it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, the reality is the the passage probably stretches just a bit. Jews didn't limit all interaction with Samaritans. It wasn't that they had absolutely no interaction. If that was the case, then the disciples wouldn't have gone into a Samaritan village to buy food. Obviously, a business transaction was about to take place. There was some interaction, but they limited it intentionally. The Samaritan people and the Jewish people were were kind of like distant cousins of a sort. But they both thought the other was the backwards cousin in the family. So they did their best just to stay away from one another. It was safer that way. Things worked better that way. They didn't have to inappropriately interact in that way. But if they did have to interact, there were rules with regards to what they would and what they wouldn't do. What could and what couldn't happen. They could never intermarry. Absolutely not. They wouldn't have been friends with one another. They wouldn't have had this kind of ongoing connection or relationship. They would have never worshipped in the same place. Never worshipped together. And then an important thing to know because of this passage, there's also no way they would have shared eating utensils or drinking vessels. Both would have believed that the other somehow contaminated it. So there's no way that they would have shared this together. This is why she was shocked at the question. How could he ask such a thing? How could he ask to share Her water jug, how could he speak to her? None of that was supposed to take place. Another important note, again, you'd have known it contextually if you looked at it, but we might miss it here. A devout Jewish man would have never allowed himself to be alone with a woman. No way it would have happened. There was way too much risk in him being alone with a woman. Risk of impurity, risk of gossip. Risk of being drawn into immorality. We won't even talk about the idea that somehow that would have all been seen as the woman's fault, not the man's fault. But that's another story for another time. Because of all this risk, if Jesus was behaving the way that he probably should have, he would have gone away when this woman appeared at the well. Or else she would have seen him and not been willing to come Because of the criticism she would have received. We know that this is out of place because we're told that the disciples, when they got there, they were shocked by it. They had questions. What's going on? Why is this taking place? How is this happening this way? But I don't want to go there quite yet. Hold on. We're getting there. Because before they return, before the disciples get there, before they get shocked by what's happening, we watch this very fascinating conversation take place. This this very inappropriate and fascinating conversation between Jesus and this woman. Between Jesus... And a Samaritan. We watch as they talk about water. 
They talk about religion. They talk about her life a little bit. Jesus asked her for a drink of water. This interesting interaction that we read takes place. And then he actually offers her water. He offers her what he called living water. An interesting term. You and I tend to read it immediately as this spiritual thing because that's the bias. That's the expectation we had. But, but for her, the first thought that came to mind was that living water was moving water. Living water was water from a river or water from a stream. It was fresher. It was better tasting. It was healthier than stagnant or stale water that, that was stuck in a place like the water from the well or the water from a pond or the water from the majority of drinking holes that they would have had. So as he offered living water, she would have thought about moving water. And for her, that was a great idea. And the more he talked about it, the more fascinating it came, even in its natural understanding. But Jesus also seemed to be talking about something more significant than a stream, something more significant than a river. He seemed to have these spiritual overtones with this talk of water that he was having with her. She didn't fully understand what he meant, but she knew she wanted more of this mysterious living water that this man spoke about. Then Jesus turned the conversation. He turned things in a more difficult direction. He brought up the topic that had forced her to hide from her community. He brought up the Source of all of her shame, of all of her pain, of all of the difficulty that she had walked through in her life, of everything that she was trying to hide from by coming to the well alone in the middle of the day, but there's no doubt in another multitude of ways. Jesus brought up her issues with marriage, her struggles with men, her struggles with relationships. And the more he talked, the more it became clear that Jesus knew way more than she was comfortable him knowing. So, of course, what did she do? She changed the subject. Not really answering the question, she began to talk about something else. She'd already picked up on the idea that, that this man was some kind of holy man, some type of religious guy. He had some understanding of religious things, so she began to ask him religious questions. You'd be shocked at how often that happens in my line of work. Something gets a little... Uh, on their toes, so they ask a religious question, one that's much more comfortable. She did the same. She began to move towards religious questions about what was going on and where worship would happen and how it would take place and the idea that a Messiah would one day come. And in the midst of this, Jesus interacted with her questions, but he was never distracted. That was her hope. That was her intention. But he was never distracted. He continued to guide the conversation, the questions that were being asked in the direction he had intended to go the entire time when eventually he revealed to her that he could offer her this living water because he was in fact the Messiah that she spoke of. He was the Messiah that she waited for, the Messiah that she was looking for, the Messiah that she had questions about, the Messiah that both the Samaritans and the Jews hoped would one day come. They had different understandings of what it looked like, but they both were waiting and watching, and he spoke to her and he said, I am the Messiah. And then the disciples showed up. And she ran away. They came back and they had all these questions. How is this taking place? What's Jesus doing talking to a woman? How dare she? 
all of these things they were thinking, but the passage tells us none of them were brave enough to actually ask Jesus what was going on. So instead, they began to talk about lunch. They began to talk about what they had brought back, the food that they'd found. And we watched this fascinating, again, it's kind of this interesting weave between the natural and the spiritual world. The same kind of conversation Jesus had had about living water, he now had with the disciples about planting and the harvest, about seeds and what that looked like, about the process of growing and of harvesting. However, I want us to keep our eyes focused not on those conversations and the theology behind them, but on the woman. Because there's a story taking place behind the ten verses that we read about the conversation between Jesus and his disciples. There is a story that is continuing to go on. It is here. It's in this moment. It's just as the disciples showed up that we get that, that strange little mention that she left her water jug. And again, I think that for some reason that this must matter. So what is it that happens between us finding out that information and her next appearance on the scene? The next time that she comes into the story. Let me read you the, the whole section there where it talks about the water jar. Starting in verse 28, it says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. Telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Then ten verses later, this conversation takes place between Jesus and the disciples and there's something happening behind the scene. Something that we're supposed to be catching out of the corner of our eye, knowing that that conversation matters. But there's something going on over here. And ten verses later, this is what we find. Many Samaritans, verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. Personally, I think it's way too easy for us to overlook how magnificent these two verses are. How magnificent this idea of her leaving the jar and then us seeing these people who are moving back towards Jesus, who are believing what Jesus is doing. You see, this woman who had been so damaged by her past, so damaged by her community and the way in which they treated her, that she avoided everyone. After only a few minutes with Jesus, we don't know exactly how long, maybe an hour, possibly less. After the short interaction with Jesus, she had been so overwhelmed by who he was, so overwhelmed by what he had done, so transformed by this interaction that she rushed back to this community that she had spent so much of her life hiding from. Because she had to gather them up and tell them the story about what had just taken place. She had to go and tell them that she had met this man, Jesus. And Jesus knew all of the gory details about her life. All of the difficulties that she had had. All of the failed relationships. All of the broken marriages. He, as she told her story, she revealed so much to them. She opened up in so many ways. I'm sure that she confirmed some assumptions and corrected others. She shared with them the scars of her life, the ways in which she had been hurt, and probably the fact 
that their constant rejection of her had added to that hurt, had added to that pain. She was so changed by the interaction with Jesus that she wanted them to experience the same thing. She wanted them to meet this man. She wanted them to experience this living water that she had just had a taste of. She wanted them to experience this transformation. She wanted them to see what it was like to receive new life. She wanted them to come back to the well with her. In maybe an hour... This woman had been transformed from the harlot to the evangelist. She had been changed. She had been transformed. She was living new life immediately. So what about you? What about me? What about us? As you think about the story, as we've read the story and talked about this interaction that's taking place, I wonder if you have had a moment with Jesus like this woman had at the well. Have you had an opportunity where you have allowed Jesus to come and know you? An opportunity for him to reveal that he already knows everything that there is to be known about your life. He already knows everything that there is to be known about the state of your soul. And even more beautifully, he doesn't care about all of the garbage that has come. He he cares in an empathetic way. He doesn't care in the judgmental way that so many of us are afraid of. He's not concerned about that. Instead, he wants to meet you. He wants to know you. Jesus wants to love you. And Jesus wants to give you an opportunity to experience new life. And friends, if you haven't yet taking the opportunity to meet Jesus in this way. This morning, I want to encourage you, stop running. Stop hiding. Allow Jesus to meet you at the well. He already knows. He already knows all that you've seen, all that you've walked through, all that you have journeyed through. And Jesus loves you anyway. Jesus knows all of the pain, all of the difficulty, all of the sins those that you've chosen and those that have been inflicted upon you. And Jesus desires to know you. Jesus desires to be known by you. This morning, can you believe that that is true and allow Jesus in? And if so, whether whether that's a new experience for you or whether that's one in your past, what is it that happens next? What is it that happens from this moment, from this interaction at the well with the Samaritan woman we watch as she runs back into this community that she'd spent all of her life hiding from? Not all of her life, but at least the last several years hiding from. 
dodging them so that she didn't have to interact with them. She ran back into them so that she could bring them to Jesus. She ran back in so that she could tell them the story, so that she could tell them her story, so that she could tell them all that she knew of Jesus' story, all that she had come to understand. And this is the piece that is perhaps most spectacular to me. They listened to her. They thought terrible things about this woman less than an hour ago. They wanted nothing to do with her. They believed that if they were around her too much, she would bring damage to them and their own family, perhaps to their marriages and their homes. She would somehow infect their children. But they listened to her. And then they followed her. Whatever she had found, whatever had happened to her, they wanted to experience. Why had it, why, what happened in those few moments? Some of it we have to imagine. Apparently, in only a few moments with Jesus, her life had been changed so drastically, so dramatically, that they could see it in her eyes. They could hear it in her voice. They could watch it in the way that she interacted with them in ways that she had not only minutes beforehand. This woman had been transformed. This woman had received new life and was choosing to live into this new life immediately. Friends, have you and I been changed in such a significant way that it's obvious? In such an incredible way that it's infectious? That others see it and want it and desire to be in the same place and desire to be moved in the same way. Are you and I living into the new life offered to us by Jesus that it is so clear and vibrant that others want to come? That they want to receive what it is that we have received. I'm caught by this, this mention of the water jug because for her, this water jug was vital to living. It was crucial to her home. It was vital to her continuing to play the roles that were expected of her. It was vital for her protecting whatever was left of a family that would have lived in the home with her. She needed drinking water and cleaning water and washing water and all of the things that this water would have taken place. She needed this water jug in order to live. And yet she was willing to leave it behind because she was so overwhelmed by what had happened with Jesus. She was willing to leave it behind no matter what happened to it because she had to get to others. She had to bring them back to Jesus. She had to bring them back to the well. Valley, as you and I think about the story, as we think about the interactions that we have had with Jesus, the opportunities that we have had to meet him, that he has come to meet us. Are we also desperate To bring others back to Jesus. To bring them back to the well. To bring them back to the place where it is that we have met Jesus in such a significant way. To bring them back to the place where Jesus is continuing to work in us and transform us. 
Now, it's my hope that if you're a part of our Valley family, that this is, in fact, a type of well for you. That this, this space, this gathering of people, this coming together as we do as the body of Christ is a well for you, a place where you meet and interact with the Savior. A place where new life is stirred in your soul and it becomes infectious. A place where you are transformed. And if that is true and if that's what's happening, if that's what's taking place, then the very next move should be that you and I can't wait to bring others back to this Well, back to the place where Jesus is stirring among us, back to the place where Jesus is working in our life. And if it's true, then what is it that we're waiting for? Why in the world are we so hesitant, so patient, so unwilling, so distracted that we won't bring our friends and our neighbors, our co-workers and our colleagues, even strangers, back to the well with us so that they too might have a chance to meet Jesus. Will you join in the work? Will you leave behind the water jug of your life The things that are distracting, some of them necessary, but the things that distract us from keeping our eyes clearly on Jesus. Will you leave it behind knowing that soon you will return, that you are coming back as quickly as you can get here, that you can pick it up on the way back through? She didn't leave the jug permanently. She ran to get people and bring it back. And then I suspect as they all left, taking Jesus back with them to their village, she took her water jar home with her full of water, ready to go about whatever the day put in front of her, but now changed. Because she had, in fact, experienced the Messiah. She had been with the Savior. She had received new life from Jesus. Friends, will we bring others back to the well that is valley? The place that Jesus is meeting us and working among us. This is not in my notes, and I've said it before, but you need to hear it again. If not, because Jesus is not stirring for you here, this is not a well of your life of faith, then I beg of you. Are you with me? This is things that the people that are pastors are not supposed to say. Are you with me? If this is not a well, please go away and find one. Because we have failed you. Find your way to the well. And meet Jesus there. And be transformed by the new life that he offers. The story ends this way. It all gets wrapped up as as this woman has crashed back into her community. And she's gathered them up and she's brought them back to the well. And they too have been overwhelmed by what Jesus is doing. This is what verse 42 says. It says, then they said to the woman, now we believe Not just because of what you told us, 
Now again, that implies that they already believed because of what she had told them. Just because of their words, just because of their life, just because of her transformation, they believed that this man was the Messiah. But then it says, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Ah, oh, isn't this our hope? Isn't this our prayer for our community? Isn't this our longing for our family and our friends, for the people who we interact with each and every day? And if so, why are we waiting for them to accidentally trip over the well and meet Jesus there when we have the opportunity to gather them up and bring them back to the well so they can meet Jesus here among us? And have a chance for new life. With us. With Jesus. Will you pray with me? Jesus, today as we come and gather. Today as we sing and read scripture. As we pray together. I hope more than anything that we as men and women gathered in this place have experienced new life with you. Jesus, it is my prayer that if there are some among us that have not, that today we would experience the living water. The living water that bubbles up and flows out of us, that transforms and changes us, that brings us new and eternal life. Jesus, make that true of our lives today and then transform us in such significant ways, change us in such powerful ways that we cannot wait to gather others and bring them Back to Jesus. Bring them back to the well. Bring them back to the place where they too can receive new life. May it be true of us as it was of her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the next few moments, we want to sing some songs of worship together. We want to give you some moments to interact with Jesus. Some moments to interact with the Holy Spirit stirring among us. And we want to invite you to do two things. The first of those is to spend some time simply reflecting. Simply listening to the voice of Christ. Listening to the Holy Spirit stirring in your soul. Listen to what it is that perhaps Jesus is calling you forward into. Maybe today you have never interacted with Jesus in a way that was transforming. Maybe you've never met Jesus in a way that you feel like has offered you new life. And if that's the case, today we want to invite you to come to the well. Meet Jesus here in this space. Allow him to bring you transformation and new life. And just like the Samaritan woman, so much of that conversation may seem foggy and hazy and confusing and unclear.
So what I invite you to do is, is come and begin a conversation with me. Not because I can explain it all, but because I'm willing to have the conversation. I want to talk to you about how Jesus wants you to experience new life. So I'll be here. Here, ready to receive you and to share a conversation with you. Maybe today what needs to happen is that it's not about you meeting Jesus for the first time, but about you grabbing hold of the desire to bring others to the well. And maybe as you reflect and you listen, what comes to mind are people, a community, maybe a community you love or maybe a community you don't care much for, like her community. but that you've been so transformed by the work of Jesus that you long to bring them back to the well. If that's the case, then we offer you this opportunity to come and respond, perhaps here at the altar where you need to confess, perhaps here where you need to ask Jesus to stir, perhaps you need others to gather with you, to pray with you, to pray for you. We'd love to do that. There are folks that I can gather to pray with you. Or maybe today, the way that you need to respond is to stand and sing songs of worship to the Savior. The Savior who has offered you new life. Take this time, reflect, and respond to the voice of God.